Welcome everybody to the Sleepy Perform Repeat podcast. This is your host, David Clancy, and along with my co-host, Connor Gavin, we are here in Soco Performance, Dublin, Ireland, to bring you a podcast focusing on what it means to be performing at the highest level, what in essence is high-performance culture. We're going to share our experience and our backgrounds into what we've acquired over the years. Connor Gavin has extensive experience of working in the AFL with the West Coast Eagles, but also having worked in a high-performance environment with the Irish rugby team. Myself, David Clancy, I'm going to bring my experience and know-how from having worked in London with Isaac Kinetic Medical Group on Hardy Street, but also having experienced high-performance culture working with the Brooklyn Nets and the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA. What we're striving to achieve here is to find out what exactly makes high-level athletes tick and what makes them to perform at the highest level and how they really can get back to play at the highest level of return to play and return to performance after injury. How do all these elements play a role in performance? That's what we're really trying to find out here. So I hope you all enjoy listening to this and can learn. I really hope it sparks an interest because what we're really trying to do here in Ireland is evolve and grow and tap into what really makes high performance culture. Hi guys, myself and David, delighted to have our first golfer on board today. We sat down and spoke with George Katsia, the South African professional golfer. We had a bit of a helping hand from Porrick Lynch, aka Paddy Golf, who came on board today as a guest presenter to help us give George a bit more of a golf-specific grilling. So we had a very good chat with George. Obviously, the life of a professional golfer is, is fairly hectic with year-round tournaments, so we speak to him about his season planning and the periodization that he does. Um, we also have a chat with him about mindset in terms of how he winds down and relaxes away from the course both when he's healthy and coming back from an injury. Um, I know he does a lot of fly fishing, so we have a good chat about that. Paddy has a very good uh, talk with him about warm-ups and gym work. Obviously, it's something that's come into play a lot more for golfers in recent years. So we get George's thoughts on those. We also get a bit of advice from him for aspiring golfers such as myself and David in terms of what we what we should be doing and how we should be going about trying to, to lower that handicap. Um, Paddy gives him a couple of quick fire questions at the end then to put him under pressure, uh, golf specific ones as well that were good, good to get his answers on those. So as per usual, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact the clinic, Soco Performance on Instagram. David also there on D Clancy Physio. If you have any golf specific ones for Paddy Golf, he can be found on Paddy underscore golf. And of course, George himself is G Katsia Golf. So that's G C O E T Z E Golf. So yeah, hope you enjoy this one and we'll speak to you soon. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Sleepy Performer Peace. Today we are speaking with professional golfer George Katsia. Uh, David knows George well from his time in London, so I'm going to hand over to David to give you an introduction. Hello everyone. So George is a South African professional golfer born in Pretoria who plays on the European Tour and the Sunshine Tour, turned professional in 2007, and he's 10 professional wins to date. And his best finish in a major was 2015 in the PGA Championship, where he was tied for seventh. And currently playing an awful lot. George, I'm going to introduce you to Porig, or Paddy Lynch, who's an avid golfer here in Ireland, who plays off seven, and his home and club is La Hinch, which is hosting the Irish okay. Open soon. So yes. I'm sure you've played there. Paddy, George, looking forward to hearing you two talk about golf. Hey, George, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Paddy? I'm not too bad. Uh, first of all, con- congratulations on your recent news engagement. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, is that it? is how you call me, 
be happy forever. <laughs> uh, I'm married. That's true. So um, I. <laughs> I suppose c- combine that with, with coming off the back of a second place in Qatar, you're you're definitely trending up, going into a busy couple of months on tour. Yes. Yeah, I'm enjoying that off at the moment. Looking forward to the next couple of weeks um, playing in Europe. I'm still waiting for your summer to arrive, but apparently we play summer golf in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not as much sun as in South Africa, I'm afraid. Um, no. So you've been on tour or playing golf semi-professionally since 2005, turning pro to 2007, but I, I had a look and you've basically played a full and busy circuit every year since 2009. So yes. for, for the people listening, that's anywhere between 27 and 31 events a year. Uh, that's everywhere from Qatar to this week in the British Masters and hopefully Le Hinch in July. Uh, but yes. in t- the question is coming. So in terms of preparation to enable yourself to perform at the best of your ability, well, what's your process are, are for the listeners? What are the priorities when transitioning from travel mode or for the people listening from work mode to actually playing at a, at a high level week on week? I think um, planning your season probably step one, which is kind of just seeing which events you want to play, which golf courses you like and how they kind of suit um, your travel schedule. Um, trying to kind of make yourself play three, four weeks in a row instead of one week in, one week out because then the traveling becomes quite a lot. But um, yeah, once you've done that, then it's also very important to kind of plan your rest periods and also kind of decide what you're going to do in your rest period because um, you get quite bored if you do nothing and you you're not supposed to play golf for at least a week, I would say, if you've done a nice seven, six, seven week stretch. But uh, yeah, it's, I think planning, planning is probably step one. Um, and making sure that when you rest, you rest properly and you do something that's, well, good for the game in the long run. And then when you come back, you're nice and fresh again. So, George, talk to us about that rest period. So, you know, you have your week off, you're playing, you're on a busy schedule for five, six, seven weeks. What do you what do you you know what do you do, George, in that week to rest or to to take some time off the course and, and just retune with your body and come back strong for the next for the next couple of days? Well, I try to fish quite a lot, really. Um, I go into fly fishing, with, which actually has a very similar mentality to to golf. Um, it's a lot of patience and a lot of excitement, and when the excitement comes, keeping calm and not messing up your shots at the fish and. Hmm. I guess that keeps my mind rather fresh and in the in in the competitiveness, but it also lets my body rest and not um, the the results don't really impact you that much. So you, your body gets to rest quite a lot, and your mind still stays reasonably active and and awake. Um, I try to go like if I have I plan my holidays every year. I know I've got December. I've got a couple of weeks, at least three four weeks that I take off, and then April, depending on the masters, are the the whole of April or I'll do second half of April and the, the first half of May and I'll have a holiday uh, three four weeks again and then August the same August I try to work in another three four five week break and um, I feel like if I take those first two weeks off then the next three weeks I can start kind of just easing myself back into the golf and do you, do you have a favorite fishing location around the world Sales for fly fishing, especially. <laughs> That's a bucket list trip for a lot of people. Huh. I've done that the last couple of years and I've really enjoyed that. But if I just have a week and I, like, I haven't 
plan to say, say I've got two weeks at home and I, I need to take the first week and just rest a bit. I wouldn't like be flying to Seychelles. We've got a little two-hour drive from my house. We've got kind of a trout destination in South Africa and you can go and fish there. And there's, well, there's a lot of fishing to be done in South, in, in South Africa and Africa for that matter. So it's, it's really not difficult to get yourself on the water. Perfect. So, so George, you, you speak fairly well there about what you do to manage your kind of time away from the the course when you're when you're in season and you're playing so of, of any of the instances you've had throughout your care, career where you've had an enforced absence through injury do you do the same wind down mechanisms or how do you handle your time away from the course when it's being forced upon you as opposed to a voluntary thing <laughs> yeah so it's like three weeks after i um, finished seventh in that pga in 2015 i went on a surf trip to bali and after one day i broke my ankle you guys um yeah obviously um i was sub well sidelined for six weeks and i couldn't really do anything and in those six weeks i actually took my like i would take my golf cart and um, rig it so that i just put my foot up in the air and i could still cast at the water and still be fishing <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me that at the time <laughs> no no so that that was the like the first six weeks where you just do nothing then there's yeah. no recovery and it's, it's really just sit and keep yourself busy and try and not kind of rot away um obviously i was excited to get back to golf during that time but i also felt like you know what i, I did do like six hard years of golf and maybe a couple of weeks of forced no golf wouldn't be the worst thing in the world so obviously it's it's not ideal but you gotta look for kind of a silver lining and um I felt like that the long, long term, that was not the worst thing that could have happened to me. Hmm. No, it's very interesting. Um, it seems like South Africans yourself are early years. You, you break yourselves in extreme sports like skiing or surfing. And the Americans tend to just fall down a couple of steps and are out for a week. So um, <laughs> who those two guys? Yeah, yeah. No, I do. I, like, I actually took up mountain biking because early on, when I just got into Europe, I realized that I, I needed to find something in my weeks off because I couldn't play golf because my very first year in Europe I burnt out quite a lot and I, I lost my card and I would train too hard during the off season I trained too hard during the tournaments and I realised that the problem is that I wasn't resting properly so I was never really fresh I was always kind of just borderline tired and if my game wasn't there the week I couldn't really I couldn't really survive the struggles of playing that and if you're fresh you could probably still get a decent result out of out of some average golf and um, I took up mountain biking after like 30 miles on the bike I broke my wrist and I said well alright so I'm selling my mountain bike that, that's not for me <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was out for probably 3-4 weeks which wasn't that bad um, got lucky with that one and then uh, I decided I've got to take up well I tried taking up surfing and um, when I fell it was kind of just like a silly accident I, I realised that you can't really Nothing's that safe. There's always something that that could happen, no matter what the hobby is. And I decided I'm going to stick to surfing because I really, really liked it. Where mountain biking gets a bit strenuous, and boring, and tired, and long. And <laughs> and, um, and then I've also found fly fishing, and um, I think the two kind of combined just gave me a real peace of mind in my off seasons. Nice. No, very nice. Um, so it sounds like if you do switch off fully, you know, fly fishing, I do a bit of that myself. Um, yeah. so you, you can really switch off but in terms of when you're getting back into the game or transitioning maybe after a few weeks off 
Is, is there a certain part of your game that maybe certain drills that you do, or is there anything physical that you try and get back into, a, say, a high performance mode in the weeks running up to a tournament? Yeah, let's say if you have two weeks off, two weeks back to, to, to preparation, you'll just fall into routines. Like, I know my routines is I see my coach a certain time of day, I'll get to the gym after I've seen the coach, and then I'll go back and do short game after that. Um, so you you kind of try and tick all the boxes. So the first week is actually a little bit more technical than the second week would be. Um, I, I enjoy the technical, like the first week craft of the game. Uh, the second week, you'll then be playing more golf and just kind of get you, getting your scoring brain back back and active again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of try and make sure that by the time you get to an event, you, you've been playing a lot of golf instead of been practicing a lot of golf. Oh, okay. And... Um, yeah, so obviously the first first couple of days or weeks of returning to the game after a break would be technical and then you kind of ease yourself into more of a playing mode. So, so like a nice 50-50 split, because I think with a, lot, yeah. with a lot of amateurs, especially myself, would tend to, I love practice, I practice all day every day, but yeah. the only play would be that weekend tournament, so that might be something for people to, to pick up on. Um, yeah. So in, in preparation, over the past five, ten, five, the last couple of years, there's a lot more emphasis around the whole physical side of the game. You've certain Northern Irishmen uh, benching multiple people, um, quarterbacks like Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. Um, but I suppose, how would you compare your warm-up routine today to that of when you started, maybe in 2005, 2007? Yeah, I, I remember 2010, my first year. Kind of halfway through the year, I realized that I'm, I'm dropping a lot of shots early in my rounds. <laughs> and um, the, the only thing we could blame really was the warm up. So it, 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 it has become a lot more technical and a lot more science based, I'd say, my, my warm up. And it, it sometimes gets a bit dull and boring, but it, it, it is part of the job now. I mean, you, it, it's not just uh, show up with a little bit of a hangover and go and play golf anymore, it's, it's become a real sport now. Would you be struggling to play today after a big result last night in Anfield? <laughs> no, l- luckily, I, like, I've got a very strict rule that no booze a week before every event. Um, <laughs> it was very tricky last night. <laughs> I could imagine. No. But uh, I did survive, and I just, um, yeah, I just started it like an hour later today, which is which isn't too bad. Um, yeah, last night was really, really something. It, I think that's a, a bucket listed. You struggle to tick because you never know when it's going to happen but luckily for a lot of us we were there last night so what what advice george would you give to a young golfer starting i'm i've started the plane the last 18 months you know i'm i'm tall i'm strong i think i'm flexible i'm mobile i've, I've done the tpi course I'm doing a bit of work here with a couple of golfers but you know i can play basketball i can play rugby how how can people that might have certain attributes in other sports play golf because you know I find it challenging I find it hard what advice would you give me and other golfers like me that are you know struggling to get from 20 to 15 shots never mind Paddy beside me who's a lot better than me I think that's actually like the easiest thing to do is if you could explain to someone how to stop trying to play golf and just play golf the big problem is is the fact that they're trying and it, it, it all becomes like very stiff and mechanical when you just start playing golf because everybody's telling you what to do, how to do, and after after a couple of like rain sessions, you, everything's just stuff and yeah. it's hard to look at. 
But if you could just free up and just, you know, almost be a lot more natural, if you've got a bit of ball sense, then you'll probably figure out a way to get the ball, the cut to the ball pretty square. Yeah. And um, you'll see it quite a lot. And if you speak to a lot of coaches, they'll say that the biggest problem with people learning golf is that it's too deliberate and like too... Like, too over-tossed, nearly. Yeah, it's like very stiff and r- rugged and not really free and just finding a way to do it. So, uh, George, just, go, George, just on that, that's uh, like obviously very good advice for people who are performing at, say, myself and David's level, which mightn't be very high, but obviously you're performing at the highest, highest level there is. Um, we have a couple of questions that we ask everyone who come on, uh, and obviously we've been speaking to people who perform at a high level in lots of different sports. So what, what is high performance to you in a golfing sense? If somebody kind of threw that term at you, what would you how would you define it? And then uh, next question for you, George, you, you spoke a bit uh, earlier on about what you do to kind of regain a bit of an edge throughout a season, throughout a long season, if you're feeling a bit of burnout. But if you're mid-round and you miss a puss and you're a bit kind of shaken by that, what do you do to regain your edge, like mid, mid-round mid of golf, for the say? No, that's for sure. And then, and then lastly, from, from me, George, in terms of a big three for you in life at the moment, whether that's in your personal life or, or in golf, are there three areas that you're focusing on specifically at the moment? that handing you over to Paddy for a couple of quick fire and then we'll wrap it up with me and you okay alright cool legend super so just a couple of quick fire questions so the first thing that comes into your brain uh, funniest person on the European tour um, in person or on social media in person <laughs> in person um, quick 
fire. It's not easy to answer quick fire. The guys, a lot of guys think they're funny, but they're not that funny. Eddie Pepper, uh, Eddie Pepper, go yeah. with that. Um, we won't make yeah. any beef jokes. Um, Harvey Penick said not to go to dinner with bad putters. So who do you go to dinner with? No bad putters. Like a lot of people want to go to dinner with me, Because eh? <laughs> I'm a good putter. There you go. There you go. And, and final question: sleep or eat? Oh, I love sleep, eh? but I also love eating. But I'd rather sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect stuff. I'll hand it back to David. Look, right. George, thanks a lot for your time today. We've um, enjoyed listening to how you talk about preparation, how you're trying to bring fun into your game, fly fishing, how that gives you some balance. You can see the similarities with your game. And I, I like what you're talking about between playing and practicing because all I'm doing is practicing and looking at scratch golf and birdie time and all these apps yeah. when, I, when I should actually just go and play with Paddy and some friends I know and and play around exactly. with my dad on the weekend and it probably served me a lot better and I'd probably relax a lot more, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, um, George, from the three of us here, Connor, Paddy, myself, we'd like to thank, thank you a lot for your time today and I wish you all the best. We're looking forward to watching you playing over the next couple of years and stay fit and thank stay you. healthy. Thank you. Thanks for having me.